and you're left with questions. What happens to people when they die? Is there an afterlife? Will I see my loved ones again? Some people try to communicate with the spirits of the departed through the occult. I've talked to many that uh, have been doing that. And many are asking and questioning, is there a literal heaven and is there a literal hell? What about a purgatory? Uh, Some believe in purgatory and a place of uh, purging and people are praying for the dead. So there's a lot of questions we have in regards to death and eternity. What happens when a person dies? Some people believe that you sleep and you enter into a sleep and uh, Until the resurrection, I've heard people uh, believe, claim that uh, that's what they believe. You enter into a sleep until the general resurrection. I will look at the scriptures this morning. We will look at scriptures this morning that give proof of uh, consciousness after death. We will look at scriptures that clearly talk about a literal hell and a literal heaven. And... We're left with a choice, and that's what I titled the message this morning, Heaven or Hell, Your Choice. Talked to several ministers the last couple of weeks and asked them how, when was the last time they preached on hell, and uh, none of them ever preached on hell that I talked to. I preached several messages on hell, and... Uh, It is a message I don't carelessly preach, but I go to the Bible, and I want to do that this morning, is just go to the Bible, and we're going to look at the Bible and what it says. Jesus spoke more and warned more about hell than he did heaven, and uh, we have clear biblical teachings that there is an eternal part of us, and we all will live in eternity someday. I know of two particular Religions that uh, believe and deny uh, an eternal hell, the Jehovah Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists, both deny a literal eternal hell. And I was surprised. And uh, there are many that uh, deny God and deny eternity. You talk to many people and you talk to them about eternity and they, they deny The fact that there's a soul, we have a soul, and we'll live forever in eternity. Because I believe there's eternal part. We are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And we have an eternal part of us. Everyone has to reckon with the eternal part of our spirit and soul that lives forever. I remember clearly the experience of our family around the bedside of my mother when she breathed her last breath and her illness and cancer experience. And we almost uh, were coming home and we decided to stay and we were all there. And I was left with questions, what happens when the spirit leaves the body? And, And I have... Some ideas that I'm going to talk about 
from the scripture. I read a story, it's an allegorical story of a man who had a vision of hell and heaven. And in this, I'm going to share it with you, and in this uh, story, you're going to get a picture of who is in hell and, and why. Who will be in hell and why they're there, and who will be in heaven and why. And the vision he saw, he saw a vision of hell and he, he saw a table. Now, this is not describing hell. It's a story, allegorical, to, to, to describe who's there and listen to it the whole way through. So he saw a table with a bowl of soup and many gathered around this table with very long spoons. So picture these men gathered around a table with a bowl of soup and they each had, let's say, six-foot-long spoons. And they were frustrated. There was soup everywhere. They were angry, and they couldn't eat the soup, and it was, it was a mess. And then in his vision, he saw a vision of heaven. The same table, people around the table with really long spoons, six-foot-long spoons, and they were jo- enjoying themselves. They all were feeding each other. With the long spoons. While in hell, everyone was trying to get this six foot long spoon with soup in their mouth, and it's impossible. And I believe that's a picture of who is in hell and why. They lived their lives that way. That's who they were. That's a picture of, of their lives. It's all about themselves. And we have the story in the Bible we're going to see of a rich man and, and Lazarus is what we're going to look at. Now, before we read that, some people say, and I've talked to uh, Jehovah Witnesses and shared this uh, story, Luke chapter 16, just a, a clear story of two men that died and what happened after their death. And they say, well, this is a parable. That was a parable, and uh, it does not support at all their belief that there is no literal eternal hell and punishment. How could a loving God ever send someone to hell? And we have to reckon with that. How can a loving God, filled with love and compassion and mercy and grace, ever send someone to hell? And I don't know how you would answer that. But I believe, it, and I know it is not the will of God that any should perish. He stands before all with salvation, with mercy. Everyone is entitled a home in heaven. When Jesus died, he died for the whole world. And he loves everyone. And so God doesn't send anyone to hell, but we go there. Those that will be there will be there of their own choice and their rejection of God. So let's turn to Luke chapter 16. That's the scripture I want to look at this morning for this, uh, the message this morning. And I'm impressed by the way God moved Matt to share uh, 1 Corinthians 4. We are stewards of the gospel. And we're going to see a very clear warning and, and a call to, to be good stewards of that in this 
story here of rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to start reading verse 19. There was a certain man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Then it came to pass that when the, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and thou, and likewise Lazarus evil things, and now he is comforted, but thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us, there, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest, I, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one of them, but if one went Unto them from the dead they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now what a story. Whether this is a parable or a true story makes no difference to me. There's a clear teaching and a clear message for all of us. And in a parable, I don't know of any other parable where a name is given. So we have Lazarus. I believe he was Lazarus. And I believe we will see Lazarus in heaven. So first of all, the rich man. We're going to look at two men's lives, two men's death. And then we're going to look at two men's experience in eternity. And what the Bible says. I don't want to stray from the scriptures but I want to open up this text for all of us to look at it because Jesus, these are the very words of Jesus, and I believe they need to be taught and, and, and move us towards God, move us towards righteousness, move us towards uh, passion and life in Christ and what we're here for and vision and and all of these things, this, this parable, this story or parable, whatever you see it as, should move us to that. Closer to God. So the rich man, first of all, we're going to look at the rich man and then we're going to look at a beggar. And then in eternity they were uh, swapped. The rich man became the beggar and Lazarus became the rich man who had wealth beyond uh, what I can tell you about this morning. But the rich man, what we have described of his life is that he was clothed in purple and fine linen, which purple is a uh, 
a sign of royalty and fine linen as a wealth. He had a lot of wealth and he fared sumptuously, or we don't use that word too much, fared sumptuously. He, he lived it up, lived very costly. So he was a life, his lifestyle was one of extreme wealth. Now, I do not believe that money was his problem, and I'll tell you why I believe that. But although it does tell us, and we're warned, that uh, we, in, in 1 Timothy 6.17, it says we're to warn them that are rich in this world. That was Paul writing. To warn those that are rich. And if you have a lot of money, take heed to this. So apparently there were rich people in Paul's day. And he said this, warn them that are rich, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. Do not put your faith and trust in riches which are uncertain, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, ready to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So if you're rich this morning, I hope this describes your life, that you are not trusting in your riches, but God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, and that you are, here's the key, that you are rich in good works and ready to distribute, and willing and ready to share. I think if we're blessed with this world's goods, that should describe our life. We have, we have so much wealth. We have so much that God has given to us, which is to enjoy. But we're to be ones that have the love of God in our hearts. And we're sharing with the world. We're, we're open hands. With wisdom. But we're open hands. We're not all with these long spoons to ourselves. Should not describe our lives. And I believe we would all say that we are rich. I confess before you that God has given so much to me. Much, much more than most of the world has. I'm living in the midst of prosperity and that's all I know. And, and I want to do good with that. I want to... To be one that is distributing and sharing and investing in the lives, investing in the kingdom. And we have so much more to give. We have so much more to share. And we have so much more we can do because of all of this wealth and prosperity that God has given us. But we need to take heed to the warning because the rich man, he did not do that. I picture, when I read this story here, I picture a mansion on a hill and a long lane down to the gate. It says that Lazarus was laying at his gate and that he went by every day. And he was going by this beggar who had the love of God in his heart. He had Christ Jesus in his heart, but he had nothing of this world's good. You see him in poverty. And if ever, any of you have ever had the opportunity to see poverty, it'll change your life if you see it. I've had the privilege to spend some, a week in, in Nicaragua and, and to see extreme poverty where they just have nothing, much at all. 
And living in Shenandoah, I've seen a lot of need as well. But the point that I want to share here is that uh, I believe this man, this rich man was a religious man. He was possibly a leader. He had this world's goods. But, but I believe that God will lay someone at our gate. Everyone will have someone at their gate. Now, whatever your gate, whatever you picture, you know, your house, we don't have gates. I don't have a gate at the end of my, my house or the end of my lane at my farm or I don't have a gate. But uh, at the entrance of your house, your dwelling place, here lays a beggar, someone with need. And his heart was not touched. You read this story and my heart is touched to picture a man laying there wanting crumbs. He wanted just the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. That's, he wanted a little crumb. And not only that, the dogs were licking his sores. So he had very little uh, clothing and the dogs were licking his sores. Now how could anyone with the love of God drive past that with not being moved? I was just moved as I read this and I looked at this. And he didn't have a crumb to give. So the rich man's problem really was that he did not have the love of God dwelling in him. He was religious, I believe, because you see how he ended up in hell and he was crying out to Abraham. And he possibly was a Jew. I'm not sure in all of those things, but he was very rich, but he did not have the love of God in his heart. He was not moved with compassion towards someone in great need. And he had all the wealth, lots of wealth. So I believe this is one clear sign of every Christian that what happens when we turn our lives to Christ, the love of Christ is poured out. It says the love of God in in Romans 5, the love of God is shed abroad or poured out into our hearts by the spirit which is given unto us. So we have The love of God is just poured out. We're like a a channel to heaven where the love of God is just poured out into our hearts and our hearts are just filled with the love of God. You cannot be a Christian any other way without this love of God being poured out into your hearts. It's it's an experience. It's a connection to heaven. And it will not stay inside of your heart. It cannot stay inside. It's a channel. <laughs> God will use you in so many ways. And so that was this man's problem. First John 3.16, it says, Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. My children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So the real question is, how can we possibly say that the love of God is in our hearts if we close our hearts from compassion and love towards the needs around us? And yes, all the lost as well. I think this 
really reaches into evangelism and passion for God and spreading the gospel and those that are laying at our gates that are lost. Hopefully we have a word we can share and hopefully we have a track we can give and hopefully we have a Bible to pass out and hopefully we have something to share and hopefully we have the burden in our hearts. That's really where it starts. It's in our hearts because the love of God is poured out in our hearts and then it flows out to the world. So Lazarus, we don't have much description of him other than he was a beggar and that uh, he was hungry. The dogs were licking his sores. He was sick. He needed a hospital, most likely. And he felt no one there to care for him. Now we get into the death. And I want to answer a few questions from this text about death. It says, the rich man died. And it says, Lazarus died. And I like this first. The beggar is first. He died. And it says that he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and was buried in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So here we have the picture, first of all, of Lazarus dying. And all we have is the angels came. And I like this. And I think that there are angels at every death. When my mother died, she breathed her last breath. We stood around the bed. And I just had this feeling like mom might be here yet in spirit form. I want you to think about that. And we don't know, but here we have the picture of of the angels coming and we're right there. And carried him to Abraham's side. To paradise. And it says uh, there was no funeral mentioned there or anything. No one was there. And there's many that die that way. I remember the experience with uh, Jeffrey Briggs in the high rise. He died and they didn't find him until a couple days later and we went into his room. Still blood laying on the floor and they just, no one was there. It's hard to imagine a death like that. But that's what I see here. He was just carried, you know, his spirit went to heaven to paradise and not much, many recognized him here on earth. So he was very poor. And the rich man, it says that he died and was buried. So there was a funeral and probably a very expensive funeral and all kinds of people there and rich limousines and whatever you can picture. There was probably a lavish funeral. But it says that in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And so he was not saved and and he was in Hades. The Greek word for hell here is Hades. And there's two Greek words that are important to understand. 
when you're looking at the doctrine of hell. It's Hades and Gehenna. And they describe different places. There's, there's another Greek word uh, in Second Peter. It, I didn't write that one down. I can't quote that one from memory, but it's, it's talking about the angels. And that's a different Greek word. So I believe there's three different hells. Hades is the place of the departed. So I believe when, when every person, when a person dies, Christians and those who are in Christ are carried by the angels to paradise. And the unbelievers and those who are lost and outside of Christ are carried by the angels possibly into hell. Hades. And that is a place of the departed. But there is, uh, sometimes it's referred to as uh, the grave. Hades, it refers to the grave. And in this account here, he lifted up his eyes in torments. And so he was in the place of torment, but I don't believe this is the eternal hell. And I'll show you why from the scriptures in Revelation where death and hell deliver up all their dead and they go before the great white throne judgment. And that's where they're judged and cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, which Gehenna would have, uh, I believe, is the eternal state of punishment. But here we have Abraham. uh, He could see Abraham. So he was tormented. It was not a place of bliss. It was not a party, but it was a place of torment. And he could see Lazarus. So he saw Abraham afar off. And he remembered, he remembered Abraham. Uh, He cried out to Abraham, have mercy on me. And now we have the rich man praying or crying out for mercy. And I'm not sure exactly how to uh, explain Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side, but I believe it is, uh, it is. One other place in Luke chapter 13, it talks about uh, them coming from the east and the west and the north and the south and sitting down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And while the others are uh, cast out. And so whatever this this is, there's a lot of questions we will not be able to answer from this, but the, the important part is that there is a literal hell, a literal Hades and a literal Gehenna which is the eternal uh, state. He prayed and asked for a drop of water. So now we have the rich man becoming a beggar and he's begging for a drop of water to cool his tongue because he was tormented in the flame. So he was not, uh, he was not at all enjoying the pleasures as he was in his lifetime, but he was tormented. And Abraham answered back and he said, do you remember? So he had his memory. Here we have consciousness. So he remembered his lifetime and he could remember. It wasn't annihilation 
but he could remember. Abraham said, you remember in your lifetime you received the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted, but you are tormented. So he remembered and he began to pray. And it was told him that there's a great gulf fixed between the two, so no one can come from one to the other. But what we see in the story is that he could see. He could remember. And he could uh, feel the pain. So now we have the sad part of this story. Now, when he learned that there's a gulf fixed between the two and that Lazarus could not come back, then he began to, to uh, pray. He said, I pray thee, in verse 27, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may testify unto to them, lest they also come into this place of torments. So now he began to be evangelistic. Now he was crying out in desperation and he was concerned about his five brothers and his father's house, which probably all of them were lost and he knew it. They're heading for the very same place he was at and he was crying out and he's praying, can you just send Lazarus? Can you, can you send Bibles? Can you send missionaries? Can you send people to my five lost brethren? My brothers are not saved. I believe that's the burden that we carry now. We really do care about the five brothers. We really do care about the five neighbors. We really do care about the lost and those who have never had a Bible. That's why we are passionate about these things. It's because that's what we are to do now. After our death, the time is over for that. So he began to pray. He began to be evangelistic in hell. He lifted up his eyes. While we have Lazarus enjoying paradise, and I want to just talk a little bit about that. I'm going to run out of time. Paradise is a future, a place of future happiness, bliss. And I believe when Christians die, they're not in a state of sleeping, but they're in the very presence of God, enjoying paradise. And this is exciting. This is what I want to encourage you all in your walk with God to to pursue this passionately. It is a place of future happiness. A thief on the cross, when he died, just before he died, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus turned to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was saved at the last hour. So I believe that uh, today the family of God is enjoying life in the very presence of God, in the very presence of Jesus in paradise. Until the time comes when God the Father will say to the Son, go bring my children home. And there will be this this grand reunion. So as I read in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians, the rapture, it is is encouraging 
to read that. And we're all the family of God in heaven, in paradise, are waiting for this great day. They're enjoying life in the presence of God, but they will all come back down to the grave and come up out of the grave and receive new bodies. That is the general resurrection. But that is a time yet coming. And so while Christians are all together in heaven, I believe that there will be a grand reunion when all the ones in heaven will come back down to the graves and be resurrected. And all the Christians who are alive and remain will be changed and all will meet in the air and... So shall we ever be with the Lord. So that is a picture of paradise. The the heaven as we know it. I believe there's going to be two resurrections. And I want to just uh, very quickly go through this. There's two places where people go when they die. Either to hell or Hades. And also to the paradise, heaven. And the general resurrection, which we all look forward to, uh, is coming when the rapture happens. There will be a general resurrection of the Christians. I don't believe the unbelievers will be resurrected at, at that time. That's a resurrection of the Christians, and everyone will meet in the air. We could also look at Revelation 20, where uh, after the tribulation we have those that died in that period of time will be resurrected as well. But there's a a general resurrection of the Christians. And then I want to close with Revelation 20, the great white throne, which is the resurrection, I believe, of the unbelievers. So if you want to follow along in Revelation 20, it says in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and on him that sat on it from the face of, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those, out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up their dead, which were in it, death and hell, or Hades. Verse 13, notice this. The sea gives up their dead, which were in it, death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The point I want to emphasize here is death and Hades gave up their dead, and they went before the great white throne judgment. I love to spend a lot of time uh, at this great white throne judgment because it gives us a glimpse into the, uh, the end time, I believe, is the judgment of the unbelievers. But it does say that uh, everyone was there, whether the Christians will be there to see this and observe this. Satan the devil himself is judged and cast into the lake of fire. I heard one preacher saying that... Uh, If he's there and while Satan is judged and cast in the lake of fire, he's going to give him one last kick for all the trouble he gave him through his life. Now, I'm not sure I am there to kick the devil. God can take care of everything. My point is this. It's it's the great white throne judgment and all want to flee away, but there's no place to go. 
And then the books were opened, and another book, which is the Lamb's Book of Life. And everyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast out. They were lost. So that's why it's so important that we as Christians have our name written in the book. We sing that song, Is Your Name Written There? Hades and all those that are in Hades, death and Hades will give up their dead and go before, I believe, the great white throne judgment to be judged. Christians are judged already when we come to Christ. Our sins are placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. Our names go into the Lamb's book of life. Our names are written in heaven. We're a child of God. The love of Christ is poured out into our hearts and we're living our lives for Christ. We're not perfect, but we've been changed. We've been looking forward to this and we are getting ready for this great day to be ushered into paradise. Well, unbelievers and those that are lost will clearly find their place in Hades, the great white throne judgment, and then Gehenna, which is the eternal state. The final paradise, I'd love to spend a lot of time there too. Revelation 21, John said, I saw the new heaven and the new earth come down. And a new Jerusalem. And everything will be restored for us to live forever. So heaven and hell is your choice. It's our choice. The lives we live. Describe who we are. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said there are two roads, a straight and narrow way and the wide gate that leads to destruction. The narrow road leads to life. We need to choose the narrow road. The rich man chose the wide road. It was easy, but he did not have the love of God in his heart. The beggar chose the narrow road. And I want to just leave a challenge with each one of you this morning. Who is laying at your gate? Have you had the love of God poured out in your heart? And is that flowing from your life? Our bodily resurrection and what we find in the scriptures for Christians should encourage us in our walk with God. It should encourage us, increase our passion and love for God as we look forward to the great day when we meet Jesus. And it should also give us an increased burden that never goes away. Uh, we should carry a burden for all the loss and all the need in the world and all of those that have never heard and those that are ignoring God and, and we, we carry that burden. Revelation 25 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So if you are born twice, you only need to die once. But if you are born only once, you need to die twice. That is the second death, which I described as being lost. So when we're born again, we become a child of God. We're born twice. We have a natural birth and a spiritual birth, and we're in Christ, and we only die once. The last breath is a entrance into paradise, and Christ will lead us from there. 
and those that are not in Christ will not experience, will experience the, the second death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures and, and the teachings that we have in the Bible and the Word of God. It's, it's a, a story that is filled with a lot of truth, and I pray that it would grip us as we look at this story of the rich man and Lazarus and the truth that uh, we find there. Motivate us all. Pray that you encourage us all in our walk with God and our experience with Christ and our ministries and work. Just pray that we could be in Christ and be free from the world and sin and be growing in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.